1: 1045 The Zone's non-stop sports talk
0: continues with a look at Nashville's teams and at news around the nation from the lead writer of 1045TheZone.com. This is The Big Six. The Big Six with Jason Martin. And here we go.
1: Straight up six o'clock by my watch means it's time for the one, the only big six here on one Oh four, five, the zone back in one piece from Atlanta radio row. Last week, I'm Jason Martin. I'm on Twitter at jmartzone. zone. I am blessed beyond measure. I hope you recognize you are as well. Ryan mud behind the glass, spinning the dials radio style for me tonight. Six, one, five, seven, three, seven, one Oh four, five, seven, three, seven, one Oh four, five at jmartzone zone to join me. So, I'm here playing hurt because this morning I somehow injured my back a little bit. It's not like the worst thing in the world, but I know I've done something to it. And so I've been in a little bit of discomfort, might even call it pain. And I'm sitting here thinking about it and I'm not really here to like whine. I'm just thinking about it because it's nothing compared to what happened to Jared Goff last night. Battered, beaten, arm cut open in numerous spots just looked defeated because of what the New England Patriots did to him last night. It's time to stop the fight, folks. The answer is Bill Belichick. Here's what we learned last night during Super Bowl 53 if we didn't already know this. Generally, we already knew this. Now it's incontrovertible. Bill Belichick is the greatest football coach of all time. Regardless of which level, College, pro, high school, universal, whatever. It's Belichick. Last week, I listened to a debate down in Atlanta about who the greatest of all time is as it relates to coaching in the NFL. And the argument against Bill Belichick centered around the fact that somebody like Bill Walsh, who's usually right there in that discussion, actually invented something, an entire offense, that others then copied. He was an innovator. He changed the game in the process. Not that you would put him in the same spot, but think about Buddy Ryan the defense that he put together, just as another example. But Walsh is—it was the main name mentioned during this discussion. The argument for Bill Belichick, which played out in brilliant fashion last night in one of the more unwatchable yet remarkable 60 Minutes of Football I have ever seen, Bill Belichick didn't invent a wrinkle. He's simply better and more adaptable and more detail-oriented than every wrinkle anybody has ever invented. Six Super Bowls, and in that time span, the NFL has changed at least three different times. Think about this. Of all the teams that he's beaten in the Super Bowl, in the big game, That would be the Rams twice. He's bookended with the Rams so far, but he's not done. The Eagles with Reed, the Panthers, the Falcons, and the Seahawks. Not one of those teams has ever gotten back the following year, and almost all of them have been demonstrably, statistically worse. In fact, very rarely has anyone even sustained consistency from year to year. Even the teams that seem dominant don't do it. And one of the main reasons for that is because these rosters get decimated following what it takes to reach a Super Bowl. Just reach a Super Bowl. The Rams are about to find that out. Some of the key guys on that team in crucial spots right now that you saw last night will not be there come the fall due to money, due to the way things are structured. It is not easy to get back. But the New England Patriots do. It's not that they don't ever lose, but it's just super rare in the playoffs. And the reason why, yeah, I know Brady and definitely Robert Kraft, but the main reason why is Bill Belichick. Think about this for a second. In the first half this postseason, which is six quarters of football for the New England Patriots against three different teams, the Los Angeles Chargers, the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Los Angeles Rams. The Patriots surrendered a grand total in those six quarters against those three opponents of seven points. Seven. Chargers, Chiefs, Rams. You know what those teams are? They are the number one, two, and three ranked teams in overall offense DVOA which is the single best metric available to evaluate an offense. One, two, and three, and the Patriots surrendered seven total points to those three teams in the first half. Combined. Tom Brady didn't have to be good early. And outside of that Chargers blowout, which was more James White than anything, he wasn't. When Belichick needed him to make a play, McDaniels called something the opponent hadn't proven to be able to stop, and then Brady delivered. There were really only two plays that mattered for Brady yesterday, both to Rob Gronkowski, and you add that plus Edelman creating over three yards of separation per reception, and that was enough. This Super Bowl was not fun to watch. Not at all. But it was Bill Belichick's masterpiece. This was the final gem in Thanos' Infinity Gauntlet. And if you don't believe that, take a look at Sean McVay's face late in that game. And as a matter of fact, here's what Sean McVay had to
0: say after he was summarily outcoached. I'm pretty numb right now, but definitely I got coached and I didn't do nearly good enough for a football team. You know, the thing that's so tough about all of this is that, you know, the finality to it, you know, usually when you get a chance, if, if you go through some adversity, you can bounce back right away. This one's going to stick with you and just stings in your gut. And like I said, I'm still kind of numb right now, but I have so much love for these players and these coaches, and that's where, you know, it eats at you because you feel like you didn't do your part to help them. I never enabled us to get into a rhythm offensively. You know, we didn't have any really third-down conversions, really the whole first half. And you know they did a good job, and then it seemed like every time that we got a little bit of a positive play, then we'd end up having a penalty or get move ourselves back. I think a lot of it was a result of some of the things they did, but then also the play selection. You know, I I, I was not pleased at all with my feel for the flow of the game and and kind of making some adjustments as the game unfolded and and to giving ourselves a chance to have some success and and put some points on the board. And you know, at the end of the day, you you can always learn, Jim. And um, you know, certainly this is going to be a very humbling, you know, tough one that you. That you do learn from, but you got to demonstrate that mental toughness you talk about, and, and that's all I know how to do. I, I think is the biggest thing is is just being able to go back and look at the tape, and then be able to really you know answer that. But I think the thing that he's going to continue to learn from Vinny is the experience that he's gained, and and what a good job he's done uh, negotiating through some of the things that that we want to do better, but then also just demonstrating that mental toughness and uh, what an elite competitor he is, and and you continue to love what he's about, and I think this game will serve as a great opportunity for us to all learn from, you know. I, I know I definitely have a lot to learn from this one.
1: Again, there was a there was something that happened late in the game on the t- on the actual television broadcast where they continually showed long, drawn out close ups of Sean McVay's face. And as I'm watching this, I'm thinking to myself, Are they doing this for Twitter? Are they doing this so people can get clean screen grabs? To then, you know, turn into memes on social media. Because, I mean, multiple times, Sean McVay, all you could see was his face and this deer in headlights, just completely befuddled look on his face for somewhere around seven to eight seconds a clip. His eyes gave everything away. He had no answers. None. So why not? Well. First off, he did look overwhelmed. But the big thing is, he walked in with almost nothing new. Now, we'll get to Tide Gurley in a minute. May have to do it after the break. But what we saw from the Patriots yesterday defensively was looks and twists the Rams had not seen on film. And I know that because no one had. Belichick walked in there with a brand new gift, and he unwrapped it right there on national television to a worldwide audience on CBS. Nobody knew what was happening because he used things that were expected. Now, we've seen many of the things they did last night during the regular season, but he did it on unexpected downs, and he masked virtually everything that that defense did from start to finish whether it was the the various coverages, the quarters coverage, the various blitzes coming from different guys. You remember the Ravens against the Tennessee Titans earlier this year in the rain? And how you never knew who exactly was rushing and where they were rushing. And Marcus Mario got sacked about 70,000 times in that football game. At times, this is what this felt like. They're out here mixing up zone. The Patriots didn't run much zone at all. And then then all of a sudden you start seeing it. They totally fooled Goff. They totally fooled McVeigh. They would use occasional man coverage that left the Rams bamboozled. They used a lot of single high during the regular season. All of a sudden, you're not seeing single high at all last night. It was, just, it was a work of art from Bill Belichick's defense and from Brian Flores. And as good as Bill Belichick was, the Rams' defense, and this does not need to be lost. The Rams' defense was ready to win Los Angeles the Super Bowl. This is going to be completely forgotten and erased because of the outcome and because the storyline being the Rams' offense and what the defense did and Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and all these things. But what we saw last night, I've done segments on this show about Wade Phillips, and we saw last night why Wade Phillips is one of the greatest defensive minds in the history of the sport. This is a night where Aaron Donald only got one pressure on Tom Brady, this was a night when Dominican Sue made just one play of note when he pushed the offensive tackle back into Brady after Brady had already gotten the ball out of his hand. The Patriots had Julian Edelman, yes, he had a nice game. Rob Gronkowski made two plays, and that was about it. Patriots won the Super Bowl scoring 13 points. Won by double digits. The Rams secondary played well. Minus the Edelman problem, but that's a problem most people have. Very few teams have ever been able to figure out McDaniels when it comes down to the Brady-Edelman connection. I'm going to take a break now, but I'm going to come back and I want to talk about Todd Gurley. And I want to talk about what exactly Sean McVay was doing. And when he was asked about Todd Gurley, he had a non-answer. He was extremely candid and should be respected highly for the maturity he showed after such a tough night for his football team, and for him personally. But he did not answer the question that I think most people wanted to know, which is why exactly Todd Gurley was so not just ineffective, he just wasn't on the field. I've got some mind-boggling statistics about Todd Gurley in the postseason that I'm going to drop on you coming up. Also, later on in this program... A special message in the final segment that I really hope you stick around to hear as it relates to Radio Row last week on the Super Bowl. I don't know that we always do a great job in the media of letting you know what it's like to actually be on Radio Row, what goes into those broadcasts, how they're done, uh, the grind, and things like that. And Tonight, I'm going to take you behind the curtain, and we're going to do that in the final segment. And I think it's something that that you'll like, but I definitely want you to hear it because there are some important messages that are going to come through. Hopefully, hopefully, I'll be able to intimate those to you before the end of this hour. But up next, Todd Gurley, a stat that will just blow your mind as we continue to break down a Super Bowl that doesn't require much breaking down because all we really need to do is say Belichick's the GOAT. We'll be right back. It's a Big Six on 104.5 The Zone. Back to the Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. Big fan of this tune. Pete Yorn, Lost Weekend. You we want to talk about a lost weekend. The Rams, 13-3. to three. Patriots, another Super Bowl. Tom Brady has now played in. JT told me this stat right before I came on the air. Tom Brady has now played in 17% of all Super Bowls. That's pretty unbelievable. So, I was talking about Todd Gurley. And we're still trying to figure out exactly what was going on here. There are some numbers that are just going to, you're going to duct tape your eyes at this point. He was asked last night, was Sean McVay in the post game? And this is one of the only questions he really didn't have an answer for and tried to kind of dodge. He was asked that in the run-up to the Super Bowl when he was watching film of the New England Patriots or early in that football game when he was looking at alignments and schemes, if he had seen something in the Patriots scheme defensively that made him believe that he could not throw the football to Todd Gurley. Here is the stat. Todd Gurley accounted for just 16 touches in the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl combined. 16. Reportedly, he wasn't hurt. He was not on the injury report. That would be discipline from the league if that were not true. 16 touches. Last night, the New England Patriots rushed at least five, often six, sending extra pressure towards Jared Goff on 50% of the Rams' offensive snaps last night. Half their snaps, they went after the quarterback. The Rams threw screen passes in the Super Bowl to Todd Gurley precisely zero times. One time in the game, it wasn't to Gurley, and it hit the back in the back of his jersey. The Rams, with the, possible except, with the possible exception of the Chiefs, have the most dynamic screen game in the league. One time, none to Todd Gurley, who's the key to it. Instead, the game plan, inexplicably, was off and run the ball on early downs and then ask Jared Goff, who was just horrific and looked scared, watching what Belichick and Brian Flores did to him defensively. Just asking him to convert on third and long. Here are your down and distances on third down for the Rams from start to finish last night. And there are a couple good ones in here, but listen to this. Third and eight. and three, okay. Third and seven. and ten. Third and two when he was sacked for 14 yards. Lost. Third and five after two runs, incomplete. Third and six through to Gurley's feet. Third and six. and seven. A converted third and two. Third and 11. Third and 22 after a holding penalty. Third and nine. The Rams were 3-for-13 on third down. And back to the Wade Phillips being great point, the Patriots were 3-of-12. I don't know what Sean McVay was doing. I don't know why Ty Gurley only touched the football 16 times in the NFC Championship and the Super Bowl combined against the Saints and the Patriots. Ty Gurley is the key to the offense. He's what took pressure off of Jared Goff. Those screenplays... When you're getting that much pressure coming at your quarterback, not just relieving pressure on golf, but getting yardage up the field by throwing it to Todd Gurley, who's a great receiver, out of the backfield. Warren Sharp, who I had on this show early in the season, pointed out in his analysis and his analytics, and he pointed this out during the preseason, that the reason why the Rams were so much more successful last year than they were the year prior It's because they threw the ball to Todd Gurley specifically on first and second down. And that those made everything so much easier on the rest of those offenses. Scott Casmore tweeted last night, story of the game, folks, and this was not at the end of the game. This was in the third quarter. Rams on second down at this point in the game. They had run it six times for a 33% success rate. They had passed it five times on second down for an 80% success rate. 47% higher throwing it than running it last night. And then on third down, eight pass plays, 0% success rate. And we're in the second half of this game. And then he just writes, need to throw more on early downs. Yes, this has been proven out more and more statistically sound data backs up throwing the ball on early downs. Especially when you got a guy like Jared Goff who we're starting to see does not throw receivers open. He needs windows and open receivers, at which point he can pinpoint passes directly to them. Last night, I don't know if Sean McVay was doing the I'm smarter than you thing. If something's up with this Todd Gurley story that we don't know, I don't get it. It's not like Sean McVay all of a sudden is an idiot, but he coached like an idiot last night and he admitted as such the, the audio that we played in the first segment of this show, he said he was summarily outcoached. He got his butt kicked folks. Sean McVay got taken behind the woodshed by Bill Belichick and Brian Flores. No answers. Didn't make it easier on his football team either. Inexplicably, Gurley's not out there on the field. When he is, he's not being used in positions of success. All that we saw from the Rams that got him, got them here, was absent. And so, again, what are the storylines of this Super Bowl? It's Bill Belichick and it's Brian Flores and it's Wade Phillips doing everything possible and his defense doing all that they could to still make that game winnable. Because, look, if Jared Goff finds Brandon Cooks, remember I told you he doesn't throw guys open? He was way late on the throw of the end zone to Brandon Cooks. If he's on time, if he's throwing off the platform at the right moment, that's a touchdown, and we might be talking about the Rams winning the Super Bowl last night. Because the margin was razor thin because both offenses were flummoxed by defensive brilliance. One play. Look, how did the Patriots win the game? Well, Julian Edelman moved it, but they still didn't score a lot of points. It was really two big plays and one drive to Rob Gronkowski. A couple of just a couple of plays separated the game. And when the margin of error is that thin, you can't afford for one team to make two plays and then go to miss really the one opening that he had. But Sean McVay said, I didn't do my part to help my team win the game. And he's right. Wade Phillips did. Even without Donald and Sue really showing up last night because of what Dante Skartnecchia, the offensive line coach for the Patriots, was able to do with his unit. But they still could have won the game. It's mind-boggling to me looking at that. 16 touches for Todd Gurley combined in the NFC Championship in the Super Bowl. Todd Gurley who you paid a ton of money to every time you look up at C.J. Anderson. I love C.J. Anderson, man. He played for Denver. I'm a Broncos fan. But that dude was cut by like three teams, and then he shows up in the playoffs and he starts doing some things. But you're in the Super Bowl, and Ty Gurley is reportedly healthy. He's not banged up. He's wanting to be used more. And every shot we're seeing of Ty Gurley is not him holding the football. It's a close-up of his face on the Rams' sideline while they have the ball and Jared Goff is on the field. I fail to understand what we watched last night. I fail to understand what the game plan was going in for the Rams and whether or not Sean McVay did what a lot of people do when they play against legendary coaches. They outthought themselves rather than doing what got them there to begin with. You want another example of that? Take a look at what Kirby Smart did against Alabama with that fake in the SEC championship game when he had that game won. Take a look at how Georgia lost to Tua in the national championship game a year ago. When you play against greatness, when you play against legendary, all-time Rushmore greatness, sometimes you get the better of yourself. And I think that might have been what happened to Sean McVay last night. So when we come back, there's a certain phrase that we've been hearing a lot during this offseason, or not this offseason, but this last month or so, as teams have been trying to fill head coaching vacancies. And I think it's a phrase it might be time to actually let go of. I'll tell you what it is next. It's a big six on 104.5 The Zone. Have you with us, Big Six here on 104.5 The Zone. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter, at jmartzone. we little spoon for you. Don't make me a target. Pretty sure Ty Gurley wanted to be a target, but was not a target. Over the last few games, the Rams lose Super Bowl 53, 13-3. Dreadful as an entertainment experience, unless you really love defense. There was only one play last night, just one, in the entire football game that took place in the red zone. One. And that was that touchdown run. Does it. So I told you before the break that there's a phrase that, that maybe we need to start thinking differently about. And it is searching for the next, looking for the next. Because it turns out, with all these teams out here searching for the next Sean McVay, the next quarterback whisperer, The key to success in the NFL remains what it's been in the NFL for nearly two decades. Find Bill Belichick. I've dissected this angle before, but I'm going to lay it out for you again here. How many coaches? Kevin Sumlin, Les Miles, not just those two by any means, but they're the ones that come to mind first, lost their jobs in the SEC largely because they couldn't beat Nick Saban. They were good football coaches. In Miles' case, he was near a national title most years in Baton Rouge, but Saban dominated him. Imagine setting the bar that if you can't beat maybe the greatest college football coach in history, you got to go. I want to take it to pop culture for a second, and let's look at TV. Let's say your favorite show ever is Breaking Bad, and if so, good call. So that's your bar. Breaking Bad is your bar. There's always going to be a best. There's always going to be your favorite. Here it's Breaking Bad. So look at the mentality of watching anything else that's not Breaking Bad the same way that sometimes coaches are evaluated. The expectation of beating Nick Saban is the equivalent of not watching Justified, not watching Deadwood, not watching the West Wing or Game of Thrones or Friday Night Lights or Mad Men or whatever else. Simply because it's not as good as the greatest of all time in your mind. Dark Knight is my all-time favorite movie. It's 1 and 1A with Back to the Future. So I go see A Star is Born. It's really good, but it's not The Dark Knight. So I'm never going to watch that movie again. It's trash. I have to seek a movie that's better than my personal best. My personal favorite, The Bar. And no other movie is worth having around that isn't up to that bar. Harry Potter, Every other book series. I I really like Percy Jackson, but it wasn't Harry Potter, so it's garbage or it's utterly replaceable. The college example is the interesting one because when you think of Saban, now you're thinking of Dabo Swinney. Eight consecutive seasons of ten wins for Dabo, two national titles, both of them coming against Nick Saban. So he's beaten the best we've ever seen. But Clemson wasn't searching for Nick Saban, it appears. They were searching for the best football coach they could find to put them in position to challenge the Alabamas of the world. In the NBA, are teams trying to copy the Golden State Warriors model? No. What they're doing is trying to assemble the Avengers. Super teams, Houston, whatever LeBron's going to do in L.A. If Anthony Davis is going there, the Knicks, trying to get Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, whatever it is. They're trying to put together the best super team they can find to give them a chance to compete with the Warriors because you can't do what Golden State does better than they do. So all these NFL franchises are out here hiring young offensive coordinators with limited play calling experience or, or quarterbacks, coaches like Zach Taylor, for example, in Cincinnati. Now, I understand the mentality, but what Clemson has proved is it's not about finding a carbon copy of what works. It's simply about finding what works. Searching for the next Bill Belichick. Extrapolate that outwardly. Who was the first Bill Belichick? Uninspired start to his career, he became the guy that we're now honoring in New England by being something we've never seen before. He was the first Bill Belichick. There was no blueprint to him. The Saban blueprint, the Alabama program, the Crimson Tide machine, the fear, the intimidation that people believe goes along with playing for Nick Saban. It's the exact opposite at Clemson. Dabo's always speaking of himself as blessed, saved by grace, that he's just an ordinary guy, gifted to do extraordinary things by his savior, and if he can do it, anybody can do it. It seems like the most fun place in the world to play. It's still a challenge. It's still super intense, but it's a positive environment. So I think it's possible we need to stop with the who's the next or searching for the next discussion. One thing to keep in mind is last night did not prove Sean McVay is some kind of failure. Didn't prove that he's a sham or a poser or anything else. Sean McVay still a great football coach. He has every reason to think he should win a Super Bowl someday. All last night proved is What's been true for 20 years in this league is still true today. There's Bill Belichick, and then there's every other football coach. And you can start labeling degrees of greatness underneath Bill Belichick, and McVay is certainly near the top of any list. But notice I haven't even mentioned Tom Brady tonight, and there's a reason for that. This game was not about him, virtually not at all. It was first about Belichick. Then it was about Brian Flores, who's now the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. It was third about Sean McVay. It was probably fourth about Jared Goff. And it was fifth about Julian Edelman. Then it was probably Skarneckia in the offensive line. Oh, and I actually forgot Wade Phillips, too. And then maybe we can talk about Tom Brady. He had a 25.8 QBR last night. Goff was 13.4. They combined for no touchdowns and two interceptions. One play was running the red zone in the entire game combined by those two teams last night. So all this craziness that some people in the media try to spin about the NFL not being about the coaches is just that. It's craziness. Who were the final four coaches standing this year, folks? Andy Reid, top 10 all-time coach at worst. Sean Payton, all-time great offensive coach. Super Bowl champion. Sean McVay, 32-year-old unicorn everybody's trying to clone. And Bill Belichick, the greatest of all time. And if you wanted any more evidence of how good Doug Peterson is, consider what Philadelphia did to New England with a backup quarterback and a pieced-together, beaten-up offensive line, not a lot of household names as offensive stars against this same Patriots team in the previous Super Bowl. Coaching does matter in the NFL. And last night was the dark night of coaching performances. To the extent I would say that Jared Goff and Sean McVay were left asking you want to know how I got these scars after they tangled with the Pats? Bill Belichick, GOAT, that simple. Coming up next, I take you to Radio Row. I set the scene for you, and I have a message that I really want you to hear. Stick around. Big 6, 104.5 The Zone. Zone Wild Feathers bringing us back. No Man's Land off their new album. It's really good if you haven't heard it. This is The Big Six on 104.5 Zone. Ball calls following us. Ryan Mudd, my producer. I'm Jason Martin on Twitter at jmartzone. So I said that this is something that I thought you should hear and something that I want you to hear. Last night, I made a conscious decision to just watch the Super Bowl but to refrain from commenting on it publicly online. I monitored Twitter all night to see what others were saying, but I really wanted to actively fight any urge to feel a need to be heard last night. And it was tough because pride really sucks. It's that simple. So I'm watching everybody go after Maroon 5. I'm watching everybody bury the commercials I'm watching everybody bury Jared Goff and annihilate Sean McVay and talk about how boring the game was and troll other people and be relentlessly negative. And, you know, I would sit here and I would talk about the anthem or the halftime or the ads or whatever else. And I would have done it last night, but what I discovered was I didn't really care. I long for a life down the road where social media can be almost entirely in my rear view. Right now, it just simply can't. It's a hugely important part of my brand or what's expected of me in the media. In fact, I'm going to stop talking about it entirely right now. Those that live inside the small glass screens in their hands and did last night, that's their choice. I've been guilty of it many, many times, and it does rob your enjoyment because you're so worried about yourself that you can't just sit there and stay quiet. But what I want to do instead is thank some people. I want to take what's negative from social media. And I want to go the opposite direction. Without going into the details of this story. Last week we are on Radio Row in Atlanta at the Super Bowl. And the show's crushed it. Wake Up Zone, Midday 180, 3HL. All those guys and gals. Just delivering outstanding interviews all week long. Working super hard in a high pressure sensory overload kind of environment. And one thing I don't think that we do well for you is paint a picture of what it's really like to be in that room. It's just wall-to-wall interviews because we're trying to give you all this content. But you don't know what it's like to be there. It's hundreds of media outlets all attempting to get the best conversations they can, grinding continuously against everybody else in that room to get that athlete or get that celebrity or get that former coach or get that media member And then you got guys in blazers and dress shirts, gals in dresses and heels that are standing on the other side of the table making eye contact to continually remind you that you need to, number one, plug whatever the guest is there to plug, and number two, remind you you're almost out of time. And these being their handlers, and their PR folks. It's exhausting, folks. It's frantic. It's loud. It's often chaotic. People are showing up late to interviews you've scheduled. And again... It's basically kind of like a small body of water filled with piranhas all going for limited numbers of food. So this is my third time on Radio Row. Blessed to even be able to say that. The first two, I'm with Clay Travis and Fox Sports Radio. And that, mean I, that meant I had a talent booker, Cindy Katz, who's phenomenal what she does, that I was able to work in tandem with to schedule everything I wanted and everything that we needed in advance. This year, I was Jason Martin of the Big Six, trying to sell myself to those handlers. This is a new world. It's an intimidating world. And I know that you're supposed to sit behind this microphone and play some kind of alpha character on the radio. I'm super confident in my takes and in my strengths and in my abilities. I also know I didn't earn them. I didn't deserve them. But divinely, they were gifted to me. But this world, though, down on Radio Row last week, I, uh, I just needed a little help when I first arrived to get the ball rolling. And in a social media world full of trolls and full of ego and full of arrogance and look at me, not to mention in a radio row room full of much of the same, I had my zone teammates. And they recognized I needed some support last week. And they went the extra mile for me early to help me find some level of comfort. When I returned, ladies and gentlemen, to 104.5 and I decided to take this gig last summer, the biggest reason was that I trusted those that I knew in this building. Now, I trusted where I came from, too. Clay was great to me. Fox Sports Radio continues to be great to me. All of them do. But I trusted the people I knew in this building. Some of them are among my closest friends in the world. I would do anything for these people. And those that I didn't know as well, I quickly got to know better. And in some cases, those individuals have surprised me more than anybody as to how in my corner they've been from day one. So let me just say this. Without them, without in particular, Kirby Allen Kirby, who is as good a guy as you'll find, without 3HL specifically, those three, Brent, Don, and Mickey, were there for me from start to finish and then some. JT, my good friend assisting all the content I was sending his way on top of all the other responsibilities that he and David Reed and everybody were asked to do last week, the encouragement from Jonathan Hutton and PK and Chad and Blaine. Without that, I might have drowned a little bit last week. Now, I prayed for whatever was necessary to do that job well, and the answer to that prayer came from the people I wanted to work with in this building in the first place. The answer to that prayer came from the people I watched when I interned in 2012. The answer to that prayer came from the people around me. It didn't come from my own power or my own prowess or how shrewd I was. And what I'm always going to remember from last week's trip was standing and listening to my girlfriend pray so strongly and clearly for my Lord to protect and guide me, to help me succeed. What a humbling, what a perfect moment that was. That's the first thing. And the second thing that I'm going to remember is the kindness shown by my friends in this building when they could sense that I needed a hand. And I guess what I'm trying to intimate here, and hopefully I'm going to be able to land this plane while, while doing so, is that regardless of what we see on Twitter, regardless of what we see anywhere else, we still outnumber them. There is legitimate decency and good in this world. There are people out there that are not out to get you, that are not out to destroy you, and that are reflections of the very best of us. C.S. Lewis once wrote that those who see through everything actually see nothing. Falling prey to arrogance, falling prey to superiority, it turns out it's more of a threat to those that think themselves clever or quick-witted than anybody else. And I'm sitting here behind this microphone, and I've been really cynical at times, and I've been often really pessimistic, and I've been too cool for school, and I've been you know, I've tried and attempted to be so clever so often in my life. And sometimes that's a really good thing. Sometimes that's a really entertaining thing. But it is really important to remember in this life that not everything is a mirage. Some things, some events, some people, they're genuine, they're authentic, and they're trustworthy. And when we find those people, we should recognize them when they arrive. People need to know. So closing up shop tonight, I consider myself not to be just lucky, but truly blessed to reveal tonight that of that special group, I happen to work with several of them. And so rather than talk about cliche pop music, pro or con, or Andy Warhol commercial irony in a Burger King ad, or the length of Gladys Knight's national anthem and what that meant for the betting industry last night, I instead wanted to leave you with a thank you to my colleagues. And I wanted to do it in this forum so that everyone who I'm blessed enough to have in my audience tonight the loyal Zone listeners who we love so dearly. And we're about to bring Sports Fest back to you at Nissan Stadium on March 30th, and it's going to be a blast, and we can't wait to, uh, to hobnob and meet all of you as we do every year at that event. But I needed you to know tonight that the people you give your time to in this building, the people that you give your ears to in this building, We don't take it for granted, no question about that, but the people that you love in this building that give you so much entertainment, they are actually worthy recipients of that. I'll see you tomorrow. Vol Call's coming up next. Vol's still on a roll, still number one. Clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. God bless. Thank you to my colleagues. We'll see you tomorrow. Good night.